Welcome to Sightseeing Japan, the podcast where we explore the land of winter delight. I'm Paul Bresson. And I'm Jason Neeling. And if you are a dedicated listener of the podcast, you may remember back in episodes two and three, I believe, we talked about the two most popular regions of Japan for tourists, the Kanto and Kansai regions. And then we went and talked about a bunch of other stuff. And today we're coming back to talk about another very cool region of Japan called Hokkaido. Hokkaido is the northernmost main island of Japan, also the second largest island in Japan. That is true. It is also the largest and northernmost prefecture of Japan. Prefecture is, you could think of it kind of like a state in the United States. Yeah. But it didn't become a full-fledged prefecture until 1947. So it was one of the last main islands of Japan to be developed. So you're going to see a lot more Western influence there, especially in the architecture. It's probably the most, the first thing you'll notice. And formerly, before 1869, Hokkaido was known as Ezo, Yezo, or Yeso. I actually have a t-shirt that I got in Hokkaido that says Ezo on it. It's got a map of the island. So to give perspective on the size of Hokkaido, I saw that Hokkaido is the 21st largest island in the world. Wow, that's pretty high up the list. Yeah. Right above it is Ireland, and right below it in size is Hispaniola. Interesting. Hokkaido is a little bit different because, in a way, it's more wide open than the rest of Japan. Yeah, definitely. It's very sparsely populated relative to the rest of Japan. Yes. Maybe not relative to the world, but relative to the rest of Japan. Yep. Lowest population uh, density of all of Japan. There's uh, just over 5 million people in Hokkaido. Okay. And there are some mountains in Hokkaido kind of running down the middle of the island. But there's also a whole bunch of plains, too. A lot of the largest flat plains in Japan are in Hokkaido, including the largest wetland area in Japan. Hmm. So it's just a really good place for nature. Definitely. And as it was more recently developed, it's just overall less developed in the rural areas. So you get more of that natural nature feeling to it. 22% of all Japan's forests are in Hokkaido, too. Cool. And in Hokkaido... They have access to the Sea of Japan to the west, to the Pacific Ocean to the east, and to the Straits of Sugaru to the south. So they have access to all the best fishing places, basically. Yeah, one of the big things about Hokkaido that it's known for is seafood. Famous for crab, sea urchin, squid, all sorts of delicious stuff. And Paul, you mentioned all those plains. That helps for all those farms, in Hokkaido, lots of farms. They're known for their dairy products specifically too. All over Japan, you'll see all sorts of ice cream and chocolate-based kind of stuff, advertising that is made with Hokkaido cream or something like that. Yeah, kind of reminds me in America of like 100% Wisconsin cheese. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Hokkaido's being far north. They don't grow a lot of rice there. So it's more of raising cattle, growing wheat. Corn. Melons. Melons, yeah. Yubari melons. Squash. The sort of stuff that grows in the more northern climates. Yep. Hokkaido is known for snow and ski resorts. Yep. It definitely gets colder than most of Japan up there. And they get lots of snow. But Hokkaido is also known for having cool summers. And unlike most of the rest of Japan, 
Hokkaido is far enough north that it's not affected by the June-July rainy season. And there's a lack of the high humidity, which makes it a popular tourist destination for Japanese people in the summertime as well as the wintertime. So you mentioned, Jason, that Hokkaido was kind of the last developed main island of Japan. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But there'd been people in Hokkaido going back at least 15,000 years with the Jamon culture. Yeah. Eventually, those people led to a people known as the Ainu, which were indigenous hunter-gatherers that lived in Hokkaido. They also lived in northern Honshu, actually, the biggest main island of Japan. They also lived in parts of Russia. So they were kind of all over that whole area, a bunch of islands around there. But eventually those Ainu people ran into the ethnically Japanese people, and they were in active contact somewhere around the 13th century. And as the Japanese pushed further north, of course, there were revolts from the Ainu people. In the Edo period, the Ainu traded more and more with the Japanese, and see if this sounds familiar. They started becoming more dependent on the goods imported by the Japanese, and started to suffer from diseases that they introduced, like smallpox. Does that remind you of anything, Paul? Yes. That reminds me of uh, colonialism all over the world. Yeah. And I mean, we're in the U.S. Our, our history has a lot of similarities with that. Yeah, I mean, we took over the whole country from people that were already living here. Yep. So the increased trade between the Ainu and the Japanese led to more conflicts, so revolts continued all the way through, like, the 1700s. A complicated relationship there. During the Meiji Restoration, which started in 1868, Hokkaido was officially annexed, and they had sp the Japanese had specific reasons for doing that. They wanted to develop Hokkaido to defend Japan from Russia, because Russia's like really just right on the other side of Hokkaido. Russia's getting pretty close there. You say that like it's Russia's fault. <laughs> <laughs> you know, all countries want to just expand and Grab whatever they can get, right? I gotta get those resources. Yep. I thought this was interesting too. Another reason they wanted to develop the island was that that was kind of a solution for the unemployment of the samurai class. During the Meiji Restoration, they didn't really have much to do anymore. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And like you said, natural resources. Japan's capitalist economy was growing rapidly at that point, so they needed those natural resources. And in 1869, the island was renamed as Hokkaido. Yup. And then in 1899, the government passed an act labeling the Ainu as former aborigines and granted them automatic Japanese citizenship with the goal of assimilating them. That's always interesting. It's like you go take over their land and then you're like, I guess you can be citizens. It's like <laughs> they already lived here. What else are they going to do? Yeah. So the Ainu were forced to learn Japanese, adopt Japanese names, and cease their religious practices. Which includes their face tattoos, yeah, which they are cool. known for. So the Ainu suffered a bit of discrimination, to say the least. And they didn't even get official recognition as an indigenous group in Japan until 2008, not too long ago. Wow. So there's Hokkaido, the brief history of, well, more of a brief history of the Ainu people. So if you're going to visit Hokkaido, Paul... How are you going to get there? Because it's its own separate island from uh, the rest of Japan. It's separated from Honshu by the Tsugaru Strait, right? Yes. Do you need to take a boat over there? There are ferries that go there, but that would not be my first option. There's an international airport that serves Sapporo, 
And I saw that the route between Tokyo and Sapporo is one of the busiest air routes in the world, actually. Really? Yeah. Interesting. But if I really wanted to go there, I think I'd take the train. Yeah, that's how I got there. And I'm kind of surprised that so many people fly there since the train, especially these days, is really quick. In 2016, they just opened a Shinkansen line going up to Hokkaido, actually. Yeah, and it only takes about four hours. And how does this work? I mean, you can't take a train across the water. It's a tunnel underneath the water. Wow. So you wondered why people would fly instead of taking the train. Well, the bullet train doesn't go all the way up to Sapporo yet. So it'd take four hours to get to Hokkaido, and then you'd have to hop on another slower train if your destination was Sapporo. Yeah. So if I may, I'd like to talk a little bit about these trains. So that, that Shinkansen that goes up to Hokkaido opened in 2016, pretty recently. Before that, there were only slower trains getting up there. And actually, when I went to Hokkaido in 2015, we took the Hamanasu, which was at that time a sleeper car. So we had like recliners and we got some sleep, like it was an overnight train to get to Sapporo. That's pretty cool. It was cool, yeah. But yeah, so now you got the Shinkansen, you can get there real quick. But it only goes up to Hakodate. And by 2030, they're planning to stretch that out to get to Sapporo. That'll be nice. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy that you will be able to get from Tokyo to Sapporo so quickly. Pretty big distance. Yeah, and once you're in Hokkaido, there is a well-developed railway network, but it doesn't go to every single city. Yeah, just because it's not so densely populated, right? Yes, Hokkaido's maybe the one place in Japan where it's most beneficial to rent a car. Yeah. I also saw that there's four melody roads in Hokkaido. What? They cut grooves into the road at different depths to make sounds as your car drives over it. Yeah, that's so cool. It's like the same kind of thing we have here, where if you start drifting off to the edge of the road, like in, in rural places, there will be these little grooves cut in. So it's, you get this like humming sound that shakes your whole car. Yep, yep. Except these actually like play a song as you drive over them. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah. You should do that more places. Right. All right, so let's say you're going to Hokkaido by train. The first major city you're going to hit on that south edge of Hokkaido is a place called Hakodate. And there's a lot of cool stuff to see there, right? What do you got, Paul? Yeah, Hakodate is a city on a peninsula. So it's actually cool. There's like water on two sides of the city. Yeah, there's like a little strip connecting the big island to this little peninsula that has a big mountain on the edge too. Yes. Mount Hakodate is a great place to go up and get really good views of the ocean and the city. Yeah, you can get up there by ropeway or bus. You could even hike up there. I saw it's a pretty short hike. You can get up there in just like an hour. And there's also a fort at the summit, Tsugaru Fort, which was used most recently in World War II. And uh, Hakodate was one of those five original cities first opened up to international trade in Japan. Mm. So there's a big Western influence in the city, a lot of old buildings to go see. Yeah. It also has Fort Goryokaku, uh, which is a Western-style star fort. Yeah, the first Western-style fort in Japan. Built to protect against the Russians. Yep, it was completed in 1855, surrounded by water. And like you said, star-shaped, right? 
Yep. Like a five point star and, mm-hmm. and not like kind of like a star. Like it's very clearly cut into a star shape. Pretty cool looking. And these days they planted a whole bunch of cherry blossoms all around the fort. So mm. during cherry blossom season, it's absolutely beautiful. Awesome. Most of the fort is all green and things growing everywhere. It's really cool. Nice. I also thought it was pretty cool. We've talked a lot in past episodes about the Tokugawa shogunate, and this fort was actually the site of the final battle between the Tokugawa soldiers and the pro-imperial troops in 1869. It was a pretty important battle that happened there. Yeah, I mean, the Meiji Restoration is such an important part of Japanese history, and that battle is what finalized it as it's actually happening. Yeah. Some other fun things to do in Hakodate, you can visit their morning market by the bay, pry out some of that famous Hokkaido crab. Another signature seafood is their squid, and there's actually a a type of ramen that they make there where the broth is made with squid stock. Isn't that interesting? I mean, there's a lot of seafood-based stocks in Japan, but usually it's made with different kinds of fish. You don't see squid very often. Yeah, I've never heard of a squid stock before. Yeah. If you want more Hokkaido food, they have an old town marketplace, Daimon Yokocho, where it's just a rows of street food stalls. That'd be fun to visit. And if you want to see that old European-style architecture, you can go to Motomachi, which is a neighborhood known as the historical heart of Hakodate. So spend some time there, and then maybe you can take the train up to the largest city and the capital of Hokkaido Prefecture, which is... Sapporo. Yeah. And Sapporo is definitely a major city. It's uh, almost 2 million people live there. Yeah, it's not little. They've got a professional baseball team, professional soccer team. It is a full-fledged, developed Japanese city. Oh, show. It is also, you know, I'm I'm into the food stuff. Sapporo is the birthplace of miso ramen. Mm Mm-hmm. So if you want to try that out, there's a place actually called Ramen Alley, which is supposed to be the specific alley where that ramen came to be. There are 17 restaurants that are known for that style of ramen. Also crab. I went to a crab restaurant in Sapporo called Kani Honke. It's pretty awesome. Get some king crab, hairy crab, a bunch of different types of crab. You could visit the Sapporo Beer Museum if you're into that. Sapporo has one of Japan's oldest breweries has been open there since 1877. And next to that, there is a place called Sapporo Beer Garden where you can try Genghis Khan, named after, you know, that guy, Genghis Khan. Do people call him Genghis Khan now? I feel like that's a more recent, like they figured out that was more how it was pronounced or something. I feel like I've heard that pronunciation more and more lately. Yeah. So this Genghis Khan is the name for this kind of Korean style barbecue thing they have there. So you have like a grill in the middle of your table, and then they bring you a bunch of mutton and cabbage, I believe, that you throw on there. Really good. And they have like all you can eat. We talked in our Matsuri episode about the Sapporo Snow Festival. There's an ice Mm -hmm. sculpture competition. Everything is illuminated at night. You'll find a lot of street food there. Yeah, and that's in February. Yep. They've also got some other pretty popular festivals. In May, they have the Sapporo Lilac Festival. Uh, which is a festival where people enjoy flowers, wine, and live music. That sounds like a good time. Also in June, they have the Yosakoi Soran Festival, uh, which is a dancing festival in a way. A whole bunch of dance teams compete, dancing along to the traditional song Soran Bushi. And members of the dance teams wear special costumes and compete on roads or stages that are set up for them. 
there are hundreds of teams with tens of thousands of dancers that participate in the festival. Oh. And over a million people come to visit the festival every year. It's a lot. Yeah. And in December, they have a Christmas market in Odori Park. Uh, Odori Park being a park kind of like right in central Sapporo, right? Yeah, there's kind of a little strip right down the middle between these big streets. And it's home to a lot of festivals and events in the city. Yeah, that's where the snow festival, the big one, takes place. And they have a famous telecommunications tower there too in Odori Park. Yeah, you can climb up the Sapporo TV Tower, I think it's called. And get a view of the park and a little bit of the city. So you've been to Sapporo, right, Jason? Yeah, yeah. I saw that there's three JR Hokkaido train lines and three subway lines and a bus line and a streetcar line. So it seems like it's pretty easy to get around. What was your thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's pretty easy to get around, just like any other decent-sized city in Japan. And if you're into hiking, on the southwest edge of the city, there's a mountain Moiwayama, which I climbed. A lot of fun. Very pretty place. You get nice views of the city, or so I hear. Because when I got up there, it was very foggy. It, it was kind of hilarious, actually. We, we get to the top, and there's like this little board that shows you what the view looks like and points out all of these different landmarks so you can see what you're looking at. But because of all the fog, it was just literally just a wall of white in front of you. So I have a picture where you see this little board with all this beautiful stuff you could see. And then above that is just blank. Yeah, just nothing. Bad. Yeah. But it was a fun hike anyway. And there's a nice restaurant at the top and a gift shop. You can buy stuff with the mountain's mascot, Morris, on there. Actually, my tea mug that I use at work every day has Morris on there. I got it at the top of that mountain. I love Japan, where even the mountains have mascots. Yeah, everything has mascots. <laughs> uh, if you're into winter sports, you can also go skiing and snowboarding on another mountain, Mount Tiene, which is actually where the Winter Olympics were in 1972. And they have terrain for all skill levels. So there are also a few cool places not too far from Sapporo that are good places for little day trips. One of them is called Jozanke. And this is one of the many onsen towns in Hokkaido. Very cool place. This is about an hour away southwest of Sapporo. And there aren't trains that go here, I believe. We had to take a bus from Sapporo. Like the hotel we were staying at actually had a shuttle bus that stopped right next to that Odori Park. And we took that down to Jozanke. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. There's probably a lot of people doing day trips out of Sapporo. Definitely. Yeah. It was a full bus, I think. So Jozanke is this little town. It's a nice relaxing spot in nature. There are different parks you can visit. It's actually located inside Shikotsu Toya National Park. And this whole town is basically full of onsen resorts. Onsen are these hot springs. You can go hang out in nice hot water that has bubbled up from the earth. I stayed at one called Jozanke Daiichi Hotel Suizante. And it was amazing, man. It was the best, fanciest hotel I've ever stayed at. Our room had a private onsen in there. Like you had the bedroom, you had the bathroom, and then connected to the bathroom was an onsen with a window looking out into the forest. That sounds cool. Yeah. But even outside of our room, just the whole place was really fancy. They had massage chairs you could hang out in. There was this huge round fireplace with a bar next to it where you can just hang out by the fire. So nice. Uh, There's another famous onsen town south of Sapporo, a little further away, called Noboribetsu. And their hot water comes from a volcanic crater called Jigokudani, which means Hell Valley. 
because you can see boiling water actually coming up out of the ground there. So it looks like hell's bubbling up. So another nice day trip out of Sapporo is Otaru, Port City. It's about a 30-minute train ride, I believe, from Sapporo. Yep, and northwest of there. They've got an old canal there that they used to use to transport goods from the port to warehouses. It's very pretty. They have a nice little uh, path to walk along on the side of the canal. And I saw that at night it's super pretty too. I didn't get to see it at night, unfortunately, but apparently it's lit by old-fashioned oil lamps. So that would be really cool to see. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Now that they've got a modern port, they turned the canal into like a shopping tourist area. Yeah. The city's also known for glass, um, which I heard they used to use in fishing. Now we use a lot of plastic, Mm. but it sounded like they made things similar to like a bobber out of glass. Really? Yeah. And that city was very famous for it. Yeah. There's a shopping street called Sakaimachi Street where they sell a lot of those local specialty, including the glassware. That's a cool place. Yeah, Otaru's also known for having amazing sushi. Yeah, and if you want to learn about the history of their herring trade there, there's a Otaru Museum you can check out. If you're into beer, they have a local beer. Check out Otaru Beer Hall. And the hall is decorated in a Bavarian theme too. Like I said, a lot of European Western influences in Hokkaido, and you can definitely see a lot of that in Otaru. Yeah, when I was reading about the history of Hokkaido, I saw a lot of stuff about bringing in Westerners to help them develop things. Hmm. So there's a lot of Western ideas and influence just throughout the whole island. Yeah, this might be connected to that as well. Otaru is the home of one of the main music box industries in Japan. I'm not sure if that came from the West or not, but there's an Otaru music box museum as well that you can check out. I didn't know that was an industry in Japan. Yeah, and I believe... As I recall, that same shopping street with the glassware, Sakaimachi Street, you can also find the music boxes there if you want to take one home. That's cool. Yeah. So let's head towards the middle of that giant island of Hokkaido, because so far we've all these cities have been kind of nestled in the south tip of it, right? By Honshu, kind of. But if you move up northeast of Sapporo, getting towards the middle, there's a place called Asahikawa. Found some cool stuff there that might be worth visiting. What looks cool there? Well, they have a street called Romantic Road. Ooh. It has a tree tunnel over the street. Like there are rows of trees on both sides. They got the branches all reaching up there. So you can walk along this tree tunnel that takes you to Kagaraoka Park, which is a big, really nice looking park there too that's got trees and a lot of nature. And I even saw they have wild foxes that you can see there that are just running around. Oh, wow. Yeah. And also with the romantic road, there are a bunch of wedding chapels along that road. So a very romantic place in general. Oh, it's like the Vegas of Hokkaido. Yeah, that's what I <laughs> thought of too. Without all the casinos and stuff though. Yeah. Uh, if you're into sake, one of Hokkaido's most famous sake breweries is here. And you can go to the Otokoyama Sake Brewing Museum, learn about that. In Asahikawa, there's another winter festival. That Sapporo one is the biggest one in Hokkaido, but the one here is the second biggest. And that actually happens around the same time as the Sapporo one in early February, so you could visit both of them if you wanted to. It's just about an 80-minute train ride from Sapporo to get here. And they have one massive snow sculpture that I believe is in 1994. They actually got into the Guinness Book of World Records for the size of that snow sculpture. And there's a different theme each year. And then there are a bunch of other attractions. They have ice sculptures, around 50 ice sculptures each year that you can see. 
you want some street food, they have an alley, Furarito Alley for street food. Asahikawa also has the most famous zoo in Japan, Asahiyama Zoo, which is known for having polar bears, seals, and penguins. I like penguins. Penguins are pretty cool. Yeah. If you're into skiing, you can do that there. There's a Arashiyama Pottery Village where you can watch craftsmen make all sorts of different pottery, and you could even participate and try making some yourself. That'd be fun. And remember we talked about the Ainu history. You can learn about them at the Kawamura Kaneto Ainu Memorial Hall. So Asahikawa, a lot of cool stuff there. Check it out. Not too far from there, just a bit south, you get to the belly button of Hokkaido. I know Paul likes that one because he talked about it in the Matsuri episode. They have that belly button festival. What else do they have going on there, Paul? Flowers. Fields of flowers. They have very famous flower farms. It's a huge tourist destination. It's just uh, beautiful. You just go there and just see rows and rows of lavender and other flowers. Yeah. Sounds relaxing. Yeah. There's a lot of fruit farming happening there, too. They have fields of berries and melons and pumpkins. So if you want to see all those flowers, there's a specific one, Farm Tomita, which is known for those huge, beautiful fields. There's also a Furano cheese factory, which I have got to visit. And actually, their local ramen is topped with cheese, too. I got to try that. So that's for summer. But if you want to go there in the winter, there are also winter sports you can do around there. The skiing, snowboarding kind of stuff. So if you keep going north to the northeast edge of Hokkaido, you may come across a place called Abashiri which is known for their very cold winters. I mean, this is like, this is way up there. We're getting close to the northernmost part of Japan. Yeah, and it's right on the coast too, right? Right. Yeah, so this place was actually a penal colony at one time, so you can check out the prison museum, which will tell you about how they sent people up there, and these prisoners were involved in building the town. Like, it's there because they were sent there to build it, basically. (laughs) How does that go down? It's like someone up there and like, Ah, oh, this is cold. This sucks. We should build a prison here. <laughs> I can't imagine. Yeah, that'd be a pretty bleak place, I would think. But not these days, because you can go up there if you're into, you know, the really cold weather kind of stuff. You can go ice fishing. So the harbor there is known for their pack ice that makes it pretty much impassable. But they have icebreaker boats that can just bash through all that ice. That'd be pretty fun. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, They've also got the Hokkaido Museum of Northern Peoples, which is another museum about Ainu and local traditions and history. Yeah. Looks pretty cool. Yeah. Another interesting thing I saw there is there's a place called Lake Notoro. And if you go there in September, the lake is covered in glasswort. You heard of glasswort? No. I hadn't either. I guess it's some sort of algae, something that floats on the top. And in September, it blooms. And it turns the whole lake red. Oh, wow. Yeah, this lake covered in red. Isn't that cool? Oh, wow. All, all our lakes are just been green lately. Yeah. So I mentioned earlier that Hokkaido is maybe the best place in Japan to rent a vehicle to get around in. And if you do that, there's so much to see. A lot of it is natural stuff. There's six national parks in Hokkaido and five quasi-national parks. Which I couldn't quite figure out what they meant by that, but that's just how they're listed as quasi-national parks. Interesting. So whatever that means. But basically, if you're driving around Hokkaido, there's all sorts of waterfalls, canyons, volcanoes you can go see. 
There's also wineries, and there's numerous small towns that are not connected to any railway. So it's a really good place to get around and just get a feel and check out all these little towns and villages all over the place. Also, if you're driving around Hokkaido, you can visit Cape Soya, which is the very northernmost point in all of Japan. Can you see Russia from there? I don't think so. They do have a monument there and a park. So lots of people stop there and take pictures, kind of do the tourist thing. Uh, the park's also got a ton of cherry trees. So if you're there uh, during cherry blossom season, it's very beautiful. Awesome. All right. So in conclusion, why should you go to Hokkaido? You want to go there for a bunch of amazing seafood, a bunch of amazing nature in national parks. Maybe you want to go fishing. Maybe you want to go hiking. Maybe you are into winter sports and you want to go snowboarding, skiing. Maybe you want to see those beautiful fields of flowers. Those are, those are really popular. And of course, those onsen towns. Spend a few days just relaxing in a really luxurious onsen resort. So much amazing stuff to do in Hokkaido. Yeah, maybe you just want to get away from the summer heat and go somewhere a little cooler. Yeah. Or maybe you want to get to a more rural part of Japan, you know. Maybe you're sick of being in this enormous megalopolis. You're sick of the, the vibe of Tokyo and you just got to get away from people for a while. Check out Hokkaido. If you want to buy a $10,000 melon, go to Hokkaido. We can't just drop that and not explain it. <laughs> they grow perfectly round melons in Hokkaido. And if it ends up being so perfectly round that you can't tell that it's not round... It's a, it'll sell for like $10,000. Yeah, that is kind of a, an unusual thing, not just in Hokkaido, but around Japan. Like they, they have places that specialize in selling absolutely perfect fruits. And yeah, all types of fruits can fetch a lot of money if there's not a single flaw on them. Yeah. I don't know who's got that much money to waste on fruit, but it's the best shaped fruit in the world. The impression I get is it's more of a symbolic gift giving thing like japan has a big gift giving culture so i'm thinking the people that buy these fruits are like the really rich people that want to give a really meaningful gift to somebody well, okay that kind of makes sense yeah still a waste of money but that kind of makes <laughs> sense yeah no argument here <laughs> well i definitely am planning to go to hokkaido seems like there's so many cool things i just don't know if i want to go in winter or summer yeah i guess both yeah, I mean, either way, you'd be missing out on something that Hokkaido has to offer. Going snowboarding for a couple days and then going to a, like an onsen town just yeah. seems like a great trip to me. Yeah, you know, when we went to that onsen, we only spent one night there, but I really wish we had stayed a bit longer because we didn't get to take full advantage of all the amenities there. You know, when you just show up at night, you have a nice dinner, you hang out at the onsen, you have breakfast and you leave. Like you could, yeah. if you spend multiple days, you can spend the whole middle of the day at hanging out by that giant fireplace, hanging out in the massage chairs. Oh. Yeah. It'd be nice to have one full day to just chill. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Hokkaido, I'm coming for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess that's it for this episode. You can check out our website sightseeingjapanpodcast.com. And if you would be so kind, it would really help us out a ton if you gave us a, a review on whatever platform it is you found our podcast on. And Paul, what's our next episode going to be about? Our next episode is going to be about Japanese architecture. Ooh, there's a lot to talk about there. Yeah, 
what kind of buildings can you go see that are going to awe you and wow you in Japan? Yeah. And I love that traditional architecture. Just the craftsmanship that goes into it is mind blowing. Yeah. The traditional architecture plus all the modern stuff they've got and all their mega cities. Mm-hmm. It's going to be cool. Yep. All right. Well, that'll be fun. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.